Hi everyone, and welcome to The Seed Podcast, part of our teaching ministry here at the Central Church in Fayette, Alabama. The Seed exists for one reason only, and that is to lift up the Word of God in order that Jesus Christ might be known and worshipped as King. We invite you to join us now as we dive in to today's message. As I was walking in, thank you, Luke. Um, as I was walking in, I, I want y'all to know I just my heart was refreshed because we have folks here tonight from a Baptist church. We have folks from this church. We have folks from the church that I pastor. I'm the new pastor in town from the Methodist church, and it's not about any one denomination. It's about the kingdom. And I, I just love that view of y'all's church. My neighbor is Bart, and uh, my other neighbor is Jordan and his wife. And so uh, Bart got us all together, and I left a barbecue. And I remembered just, I, I told Ashley, when we had first moved here, and I was just in maybe a couple weeks, and all I knew probably was Dana and August and uh, Esther, and that was about it. But um, so I left that barbecue, and I, I thought to myself, these people get it. Because there were three pastors at that barbecue, Bart and his wife, Miss Glenda, and then there was an, an, an unchurched family uh, that lives in our neighborhood. And I, so my first thought was, these people get it. The second thought, I thought, wonder who's going to get that unchurched family. <laughs> and so we have to have a kingdom view, right? And it has to be a healthy kingdom view, and we have to want the best for other churches in the area. And so anybody that knows me knows that everywhere I've been, um, I say that maybe because I, I went to a Church Christ high school and I was raised in the Baptist and the Methodist church and so mama would get mad with somebody at the Baptist church and we'd be down at the Methodist church two weeks later. Um, but here's the deal, my parents believed in bringing their kids to church. And so I think that's something that's being lost largely today. I'm refreshed when I saw that, that the kids climbed on a space shuttle um, I'm, I'm refreshed that the kids are having their time. And when we had the community VBS too, um, I was just amazed because this community is going after the babies and we have to um, because the world's going to try to go after them. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But I'm refreshed by all of y'all. And I can't do anything for the kingdom with, with and through the power of the Holy Spirit without prayer. So let us just enter into a time of just prayer. Father God, place on our hearts any situation that is on our hearts. Lord, situations that we wish would turn out well, whether it be from friends or family issues or addiction or, Lord, any issue, God, we just ask, Lord, that you send the Holy Spirit to touch the hearts of those who are on our heart to pray for. And God, just in your wisdom, work it out as your word promises for your good. You are faithful. And Lord, we know it's you. And we will give you the glory when the situation works out in our lives and in the person that we thought of. And Lord, now we pray for ourselves. Use this night to teach us more of your word. Lord, I pray that this crowd gathered here all different ages, Lord, that we go someplace special together through the power of your Spirit. Your Word promises that if two or more are gathered, then you will surely be here. And so, God, you are here. 
We claim that right now and we give you the glory for what's going to be taught. And also, Lord, we give you the glory for how we receive what is taught. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. So Jordan sends out a text of everybody that's going to be speaking, and this is what the text looked like. Hey, we had someone that had to cancel this week, Brother Mike, and can you, um, is there anyone uh, of you that can actually switch weeks? So my topic was on Abel, and so um, I was supposed to be like the second week in August, I think the last one to speak or whatever, and so... Um, you know what preachers do when they know you don't speak out for a while, right? So um, what I did was like, okay, I got plenty of time. We're good. And then I get that text. One thing I want Jordan to know is that I care about him and I want the best for him and his ministry. So how can I really want that and not jump on it? Not that the others don't, but that's just where my heart was. And so what I did was uh, I entered into prayer and God put on my heart, to begin to prepare and say yes to that text. So that's why I'm here now and not in August. So you might have gotten more material in August, but I talked to Bart. He said, go as short or as long as you want to go. So I got that out of my neighbor um, who loves this church. So I can flat out tell you this, that uh, I'm going to go as long as the Spirit wants me to go. Amen. Um, and so can, are we good, sound guys? Are we good? We ready? All right. Um, I first... I want to tell you something that I preached at our church a couple weeks ago. And it was about the human heart. The physical heart. And I found some obvious things that many of you can learn from a high school biology class. And so in that sermon, talking about the conditions of our heart, Jesus kept going back to the heart. It's, it's from the heart is where... Um, uh, best way I know to say it, where sin originates. The heart is where uh, we find ourselves. The heart is what drives us forward. But you have the physical heart, and then you have a connection in Scripture that I'm going to share with you all tonight um, about the heart. Because I don't think you can talk about Abel without talking about Cain. And I don't think you can talk about Cain and Abel without talking about the heart. And so that's why I want to share just a little bit about the heart and kind of the bridge that's there in Scripture. The human heart is about the size of, a, of your fist. So if you're a big man in here like Luke is, if you hold that big hand up, Luke, that's the size of your heart. That's about what doctors say the average heart is the size of the person's fist when, in, when closed. It's about 10 to 12 ounces. It's shaped like a pear. Um, it's wider at the top. The beating is in the lower two-thirds. Um, you might remember that the heart is divided into four sections. Those sections are called, two are called artels and two are called ventricles. They're chambers that are connected by valves which keep the blood flowing in one direction as you sit here tonight. Then there's a wall that divides the left and the right section. That's called a septum. You've probably been tested on that in high school biology. And so the scriptures place a heavy emphasis emphasis on not just the physical heart, your physical heart, but it also, the scriptures also point to your spiritual well-being, your spiritual health, your spiritual um, place of origination, of your thoughts, your actions, your words. Words matter, right? Somebody amen that one. I got any ameners here tonight? No. Um, uh, they, they, the, amen, the amen corner just spurs me on, right? So y'all just amen everything that's said. 
But there's a bridge there, so, so God knows we have the physical. So just stop at the physical for just a second. Something I said in my church when I preached on the heart. If you think of just your heart, just the, the, the organ itself, the muscle itself, which is largely muscle, right? With all of those that are divided, set up perfectly, right, to go to your fingers and your toes, every one of you is a miracle sitting here tonight. Every single one of you. No matter who your mama or your daddy was or how long you lived in an area, you're a miracle. And the miracle starts with the heart. What do the doctors say when a baby's in the womb? Hey, we have a heartbeat. And so I want, and this is what I said to, to the church down there. Our people, meaning bigger than one denomination, our people need to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Four generations ago, they were more thankful than we are today. Why is that? I'm beginning to put some things together, and I'm beginning to have some theories as to why that is. Um, so you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who's called to trust in the Lord with all your... Proverbs 3, 5. You have to understand something that when I say we should be thankful... We should just be able to just think about the heart and carry that into each day. We shouldn't be the ones at work that are yaying. We shouldn't be the ones in the neighborhood that are nasty. We shouldn't be the ones who are constantly keeping score. Love doesn't keep score. We should be those people that operate differently. Why? Because we are the redeemed. And so it is from the heart that Jesus says that our sin comes from, right? But let's talk about the bridge a little bit. The psalmist in 51.10 says, he, he's speaking to God and he says, Create in me a clean, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So now you've got the physical heart, and now he's bringing this spirit thing into the heart. I said, that's, Jesus said that that's where sin originates. It's in your heart and in my heart. But you see, Scripture is now bridging the physical with the spiritual. That's, that's what is happening through the psalmist in 51.10. And I think our key is something that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Is in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in... Isn't that interesting? Now that's just a few. There is an app called blbbible.com. I use BLB Classic. But you can type in the word heart and you can see how many times the word heart is in the Bible of any version you want to look at. It's an incredible tool. BLB Classic. Sometimes I'll preach and I'll say something like this. Forgiveness is in the Bible, I don't know, I'll make up a number, 140 times. I think God's trying to say something to us about forgiveness. That's where I get it from. And so you look at that and you go, wait a minute. The heart is mentioned. I just mentioned some of the three of the the big ones, Proverbs, Psalm 51, and Matthew 5 8. But it's everywhere. If you do that in blueletterbible.com, it's everywhere. And so when I said, if we're going to talk about Abel tonight, you can't talk about Abel without talking about Cain, then we're going to see some things that are going on that you may not have spotted before. Um, and the more I dove into it, the more I spotted. So my thoughts are probably going to be all over the place from this point, okay? 
But just the Holy Spirit was just on me, and it was just, tell them this, teach this, show them this. But what was really happening was God saying, Chris, I want you to see this. I want to show you this. Some of the best sermons that Jordan will preach or I preach, I've already gotten to know the pastor here. Some of the best sermons are things that God's working on the pastor on. People don't understand that, but that's usually the best sermons that you hear. That's the one where you go, you're walking out as a pastor and somebody goes, did you know that was our subject in Sunday school? Or, or how about this one? Did you know that was the key verse of what we had for the kids? It's already happening. The Holy Spirit, out of this whole book that I love, the Holy Spirit's already taken the same thing and, and God's peppering these thoughts all around you right now. I'd love to know if there's anybody that gathers on a Wednesday evening that's talking about the heart tonight. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? But that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's why when I say it's bigger than us, it really is bigger than us. So we're going to go in just a minute. If you brought your Bibles, we'll go to Genesis 4. That's where you find the story of Abel and Cain. Um, before we go there, though, I do want to say a few things just about the kind of world that we live in right now. Remember, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we've lost, too, because of this type of world that we live in. In light of where the church is today, you guys and gals know that we are living in some crazy times. I mean, part of me just feels like we could look up and here comes the trumpet. Um, I, I won't pretend to, I don't claim the gift of prophecy, but I can tell you this, that if you look around at what Scripture calls the birth pains, there's a lot going on in the world right now, if you begin to put that together. Um, something I always, I've had people in churches that I've pastored, they've come to me and said, tell us what your view is on the second coming. And they're all into the second coming of Jesus. And I'm sitting here thinking three quarters of the world still doesn't know about the first coming. We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of people to win over to Jesus Christ. Um, that's on all of us as kingdom builders. Um, but I'll say this, it is a crazy time. But I also want to tell you that if you begin to go, especially into some of these stories, like Abel and Cain, the world's always been crazy. Why would Jesus say something like, I want you in the world, but not of the world? So it's not like you need to... Fear is incompatible with faith, so don't be afraid of anything that's coming. But I want to say this. You shouldn't be overly concerned with how messed up the world is right now. You shouldn't allow the newscast, threat of nuclear war, right, scare you. Uh, one, we're on the side that wins. And number two is the world's always been crazy. There have always been dictators who are crazy. There's always been evil in the world. Well, ever since the time of, right, Cain and Abel's parents, right? And so I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But what I want to first get across is that the world's always been the world. We're not going to change that. We can change our world, our immediate world, through the love and spirit of Jesus Christ. But what's sad to me a little bit now, and I've been preaching for 16 years, this isn't a sermon, this is just a teaching. But what's sad to me when I step back and I even look at good churches, like this one, or where I pastor, or your pastor, your church if you're visiting, if, if in your heart you would call it a good church. What's sad to me now is that the church is no longer the church. What do I mean by that? It's a pretty harsh comment. 
I mean that we haven't really, we're not really different from the world anymore. I mean, if you, if you really stop and think about it, we're really not different from an unchurched neighbor. Great couple, by the way, Bart. But they're unchurched. And I look at it and I just go, we really aren't very different from them anymore. We really aren't living as though people who should be in the world, not of the world. Uh, with our hearts leading us truly each day. Um, when there's a blow up in the neighborhood, I'll never forget it. A guy came to me. He was mad at a neighbor. The neighbor let his dog go to the bathroom on his yard. And you would have thought they absolutely hated each other. So the neighbor went around the neighborhood. This is in Gunnersville when I lived there. And he was getting people to take sides. Are you with the guy with the weenie dog or are you with me? <laughs> True story. And what's funny about that is... I said, Richard, I think you need to bring him an olive branch. He said, what do you mean? I said, I think you need to care about him. I think you need to go to the store and buy the dog a treat. He was hot. He was hotter than the pile that was left in the yard. You know, if we had that much passion towards the lost instead of a pile of... And he didn't like my answer, didn't talk to me all that much after that. That's okay. I'm not for everybody, right? But, but the point is that we get caught up in these little things in the world and in our workplace and in the neighborhood and we look just like the world. And then we gather in a beautiful place like this and we tell everybody we're redeemed. That's tough. Like what in your life do you need to adjust from tonight on to walk better in the spirit of Almighty God? How, what do you need to change so you don't look like the world? What do you need to change so you live like you're redeemed? Because it's interesting that the church is just looking too much like the world today. And what's interesting to me is you have Paul that warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. He talks about how terrible it's going to be in the last days. And I'm going to read a little bit of that in just a little bit. But what's interesting there is it's not because the world's gone off and gotten any different. That's not what Paul's saying there. What Paul is saying there is it's because the church is no longer functioning in the love and the spirit that it should be functioning in. In other words, what Paul's saying there to a young Timothy there in 2 Timothy, he talks about how terrible the last days are going to be. And it's not because the world is any different. It's because the church is different. And not in a good way. And so you, you read that and you just go, wow, that's, that is the warning that's right there. I, I thought it would have been about a young Timothy and his ministry and inspiring. Well, you have that there. But, but right there in three, you look at it and you go, wow. And it talks about things like, and it's interesting, and we'll go there in a little bit, but the first thing it mentions is lovers of self. That we have basically become lovers of the self. And so then things like lovers of money and this and that, again, we'll look at it in just a little bit. But people who are even grown up now think nothing of disrespecting others. You ever heard this saying, he knows better, she knows better. It's probably somebody that's from the church, walking in the spirit, 
has identified a nasty thing going on within the heart. Judgment's about salvation. The church should be a place that rebukes. Okay? So you look at it and you go, think about where we are. Kids disobey parents today like never before. Now that has changed. It's gotten much worse. Um, and you know, we're almost numb to that now. If we got kids at our church or in our neighborhood or at the job site, you know, they come for what's that day that they have the kids. Kids come to work day or whatever. Um, you're not seeing the manners that we were raised in. Um, in fact, we say things like this. Well, of course kids disobey. And we're surprised today by kids who say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. We're actually surprised at that. So some things have changed, but remember what I said that I wanted to teach tonight was that the world is still the world. But we have bought into, I'm going to say, a softer life. We bought into a view of Jesus of Nazareth as this teddy bear figure. Okay, um, Jesus was a kind man. He wasn't a nice man. If you really study the fullness of the gospel, he really wasn't nice. But we hear things like this. You got to love yourself. We even say it in the churches. You got to love yourself. And that makes sense in today's world because it's a self-centered world. So we hear you got to love yourself. And that makes sense to us now. Um, and let me say this, that view made sense in Cain and Abel's world. Remember, the world hasn't changed all that much. It's always been crazy. Um, and I know a counselor will say something like this if you enter into counseling. And sometimes there are people that really need counseling. I, I'm, I'm totally with that. I've, I've talked with people as a pastor, and I've said, time out, you're above my pay grade. You need a counselor. Um, that's very real and very good. But pick a Christian counselor. And the second thing I would say is you'll hear the counselor say this, especially a secular one. They'll say something like this. And watch this. You're going to dig it before I even say it. You're going to like it. Here's what the counselor will say. If you don't love yourself, you can't love others. Now that makes sense to us who have now grown up in a largely self-centered world. That makes a lot of sense. You can't love yourself if you don't love. It makes sense. But loving the self when in that view, with that statement, that starts with the unhealthy, unbiblical thought that humans are good. We're not good. That's why we need Jesus. We are not good. So we hear things that are close to it that make sense, like the church should be a house for the sick. Well, God news for you. There's nobody that shows up here at my church or in your church back there, brother, at the Baptist church you go to. Uh, nobody's healthy. Nobody is healthy. Because you have to understand, in a self-help world, they want to paint the... The picture that you're good and you just need to get back to what you were before counseling started. And that's just not accurate. That's just not biblical. And then people could say, well, wait, Chris, even Jesus told us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves." Let me say this. I'm not diminishing the words of Jesus here, but you should love your neighbor, no doubt. But you need to die to yourself. 
Because you can't love that neighbor biblically. You can do nice things. You can bring them a meal. But I'm talking about biblical, hold you when there's nothing left in you or them. You can't do that unless you die to yourself. Everybody loves John 3.16. For God so loved the world. We can all quote it. I know we can in this community. The kids can shout it. And that's awesome. But nobody ever quotes 1 John 3.16 and 17. Nobody talks about 1 John 3.16, where ours is a faith that's supposed to lay down this self-loving life for others. Now, if you were brought up with the view of teddy bear Jesus, what I'm saying, you're going, man, this is harsh. But no, it's truth. It's grace and truth. Churches that run with just grace and no truth, I don't know that they're running with the Holy Spirit. And churches that run with just truth, where all they want to do is just correct everybody with no love, I don't know that they're running with the Holy Spirit. So it's grace and truth, and that has to be the message in our churches. And I know it's the message in this one. 1 John 3.16. Let me see here. 1 John, let's go. Let me just read this to you. Listen to this. Here's 16. I'm in the NIV, so yours might be just a little different. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. So when was the last time you laid your life down? So that a coworker, a neighbor, a friend knows that you love Jesus. Because that's what love is. Oprah's going to teach you that love is something completely different. Following Jesus involves feelings, but Dana's heard me say it a thousand times already. If you think your faith is just feelings, you have missed the boat. Because there's some days where the Holy Spirit rains down on this heart and it gets heavy. And I realize that I haven't chosen the easy life, and neither have you, if you're really following Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So sometimes you might have to die to yourself to really care for the neighbor as God would want you to care for them. So let me clear it up a little bit. You are to love God way, way, way more than yourself. Not even close. That's why Jesus said, hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brother, hate your sisters. Why would he say that? Wait a minute, this is from the same Jesus that said love everybody? No, you got to love him more than all of them and more than anything. Certainly that neighbor with the dog poo, you got to love Jesus a whole lot more than that situation. And he didn't like it when I said bring him an olive branch, go to the store, get a dog treat for the little dog. You'll see your life will get better. But we, we let those little things just build up and mess with us. Then they begin to take away our joy. Then we begin to say something to a good friend. Like, I'm not having fun. Maybe I needed more death of the self. Maybe that's what I needed. I know this, that if you love God way more than anything else in your life. And it's not just an out there thought. 
if you love God way more than yourself, I know this, the promises of abundant life that He has for you are there, they're real, and they're God-given. I don't know, babe. I just got this joy in my heart. <laughs> and that's supposed to, Paul says, I work out my salvation. So that, that finding that is what you're supposed to be after. And you find that by dying to the self. And you know what else? Loving your neighbor will just be a byproduct. You won't even have to think about being different in the neighborhood anymore. That's just a byproduct of this. So, Jordan gave me the topic of Abel. My first thought was the world is still the world. My second thought was because of the fall, we rebel and we're largely not good because we are largely self-seeking. And so, tonight I want to just dissect why I got to thinking like this and what did God reveal to me in the way that I was thinking so let's go to Genesis chapter 4 tonight. If you brought your Bibles, let's go to Genesis 4. We're going to look at 1 through 16. So it's kind of a longer reading, but there are nuggets everywhere. And how many of y'all read a story that you grew up with, and then you read the story and you look up and it sounds completely different, or you get a completely different point? That's the Holy Spirit leading your reading, by the way. Leviticus will almost put you to sleep, but outside of Leviticus, I get pretty fired up when I read my Bible, okay? All right, so here we go. Let's read, read it. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And, and just so you know, it was Cain, Abel, and then a little later came Seth, okay? And, and they say that Seth is the bloodline that got us to Noah, okay? So you've got, uh, now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain, his offering, he did not look on with favor. So you got something going on here. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule over it. So you see God just talking about what I talk, was talking about earlier. You've got to rule over that nature within you, that heart that's largely bad. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. Now you are under a curse driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer in the earth, on the earth. 
And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. All right, so a couple things that I want to point out. The first one is found in verse 4 when I said something is going on here. In verse 4, take a look at that with your Bibles still open. Um, and I'm going to point to several things. But it says, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now there's a word there. It's part of the word firstborn. But he gave his first. That's the reference there. Okay? So how are you supposed to be a giving person? Even to the house of the Lord, you give your tithes and offerings the first. Right? Okay, we learned that one since we were young. But now we're going, wait a minute, in this Old Testament story, this is the second generation? We're seeing something here? Wait a minute. So Abel, it says, the firstborn of his flock. Then it says the Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel and his offering. So the Lord's looking directly at the offering. But now let's go up in verse 3 and read again what Cain brought. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. You don't see the word first there, do you? Isn't that interesting? Something tells me... Now, we know the story. We know Cain killed Abel, okay? But something tells me you've got a guy who's keeping score, and you've got a guy who's giving God, maybe, I don't want to read too far into the Word without the power of the Holy Spirit and get off of God's Word here, but just maybe he's giving God the leftovers. Doesn't say anything about what was taken from the field first. But yet, if you look at Abel's, it is firstborn of his flock. So there's no reference to Cain giving from the heart as God commands. Not only should we be the most unself-centered people, we should also be the most thankful people. I said both of those tonight. Now watch this. We should also be the most giving people. Man, maybe I should have been the one to go get a doggy treat for the dog. I mean, think about how God's blessed you in your life, that you have the tools to bring love into a situation when the rest of the neighborhood is choosing hate. Why would I do that? Because I'm redeemed. My heart is different. It comes from my heart. And it comes from your heart. And so that's the first thing that stuck out. Now, most scholars... So really, if you answer the question, um, why is Abel's offering more pleasing to the Lord? Just notice the word firstborn. Okay? With Cain, it doesn't say anything. I, I think it's probably leftovers. Now that we know what Cain's heart was like, right, with the whole story. But there's something else going on here. And this is interesting. Go to the previous chapter and look at verse 21. Now this one is what we call... A bridge, a theological bridge. Verse 21 says this. 
It says the Lord God made garments of, what's your Bible say? Skin. Skin. Okay. In your Bible, this is God setting up the Old Testament where blood had to be shed. You brought in your best without blemish and it was sacrificed on the altar. So blood had to flow for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's the God setting up right there, right there, 3, verse 21. You don't have, it's God. He can, he's formed us out of dirt. Now, he could have just created skin right there. But I'm going to say it this way. You ain't got skin unless you have blood. That's so obvious to me. That's a, that's a nugget there for you to know that how many years before Jesus was this? Thousands of years. That the shedding of the blood is what covered the sin. And so it's really interesting that the first thing God does after the fall, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. Okay, so if we're talking about Cain and Abel, whose kids were they? Adam and Eve. So what would they have learned that a proper sacrifice is from a young age? Give your best and blood had to flow. Now what did that later set up? God's plan, right? Which was Jesus. What had to happen to Jesus so you could be forgiven and redeem people tonight? Blood had to flow. That's why Jesus said in the upper room when he instituted Holy Communion, that's why he said up there, watch this. This is the blood of the new covenant. Isn't that cool? Like I was reading that and when Jordan called me, I was like, oh, just dive in, dive into the scripture. Lord, give me what I need to teach. Just give me what I need to teach, Lord. It's short notice, that's okay. I wanna help my brother, I love him. I want to operate in that love, and I want it to come from my heart. And I'm reading 321, and I go, oh my gosh. You've heard the phrase, you got to have skin in the game. That was the literal meaning of what happened to Cain and Abel's parents. God brought skin in the game to cover up their shame, to cover up their nakedness. Isn't that interesting? So that's what was going on. So you've got Cain... Oh, you've got Abel, who gives the firstborn. You've got Cain, who just grabs some stuff from a field. Well, if you grab the harvest and you give to somebody, there's no blood flowing there. It's a plant. It's not living. It's not a real sacrifice. So before the murder of Abel, you could say that Cain disobeyed his parents. Watch this. Because he had a bad heart because he would have been taught at a young age what a true sacrifice that's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord is. Isn't that interesting? So you have not just rebellion against God and jealousy and keeping score and killing his brother. You got a bad heart. You got a heart bent on evil. That's why we need Jesus. Because our heart, because of the fall, because of Cain and Abel's parents, we're connected to it. 
And we have a tendency not to want to do right. I know I do. And so when God hit me that, it's like, wait a minute. So skin would have been a part of the Old Testament belief that blood had to be shed on the altar for the forgiveness of sin. An animal without blemish, your best, your first. If it was your best, because you wanted to give what was pleasing to God and blood had to be shed. So that's Old Testament. So then you move over to the New Testament and you go, Jesus had to die on a cross. There was no other way. When Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. God didn't answer that prayer the way he wanted, did he? Because God knew that he already had in motion what was the perfect sacrifice. And that's Jesus. So in your prayers, God's going to answer you three, three ways in things you pray for. Number one is yes. Number two is no. Or number three is wait. I can see God saying as Jesus was praying in the garden, Lord, take this cup from me. I can see God going, just wait. It's going to be awesome. You know what I want to say to somebody when I do a hospital visit and they're down at the end of their life? I want to take them by the hand with a loving heart and say, you know what? Just wait. Because it's going to be awesome. Chris, do you really believe that? I do. And the more patterns I find in Scripture, the more I see, man, God set it up this way from the very beginning. We're talking the second generation on planet Earth would have known what a blood sacrifice is because of verse 21 in chapter 3. Now, I also want to point out something in verse 9. Let's go there. I already said that Cain had a bad heart. There are some things that truly bad hearts, ones that have not been truly redeemed. Judgment is between the Lord and it involves salvation, so there's no judgment, but I'll say it this way. One of the things that a heart that's running from God will do is will lie. Just a flat out lie. Um, look what it says there. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. He just murdered him. Of course he knew. Bad heart. Bad hearts lie. But look at the next part. Am I my brother's keeper? So now he's not only lying about what he did, but now he's becoming something that mama told me not to be when I was a little boy. Don't you be a smart aleck. Some of y'all were told the same thing. He's being a smart aleck with God right there. So it's not just that, uh, oh, I don't know, I'm lying to God. But now he's going to be, am I my brother's keeper? So now he's a smart aleck about it. So could you make the argument that a bad heart lies and a bad heart usually has a smart mouth? Probably. Y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? <laughs> and so I found that, and I'm just going, man, if you elevate the self too much in your life, you'll easily begin to fall into little lies. Little lies become bigger lies. Then you start to live a life that's a lie for one thing, and it's called self-protection. Notice the first word there. It's still elevation of the self. Isn't that interesting? That that's what it boils down to? Yes, that's what it all boils down to. So 
really, those are some things that I got from the scriptures um, to give to y'all tonight. And really, as I dove in, and, and there are more nuggets in there. Um, you know, God says to Cain, why are you angry? That could be something else that follows a heart that's bad. Anger. Isn't self-control one of the gifts of the Spirit? I admit, I've been angry lately. I need to enter into my special place of prayer and I need to learn how to leave it there. I've got to be a better person. And so does everyone who's hearing this message. What do we need to be? I love it because I guarantee you Jordan gets hit with it because I get hit with it. Well, Chris, I wanted to come see you because I'm trying to figure out what the Lord wants me to do. Read Cain and Abel. Start to find the patterns for your life. Move your heart in a better direction. Live a life that's pleasing to God. Bring an olive branch to the neighbor. Put up with a little poo. Oh me, oh my, you know. So really, I think it's about several things. First thing, point I want to go back that I've made is, these are all points that I've made, so here we go. Number one, the world's always going to be the world. You're set apart, you're different from the world. The world is always going to be the world. Number two, the saved have to be in it, not of it. We shouldn't think like those who are unsaved around us. Salvation is between them and the Lord. We don't enter into judgment, but I'll tell you this much. We've got to start being different. Different from the world. Number three, self is never above God. Never. Number four, disobedience to God's plan for your life is never good. We fight obedience. We fight surrender. We fight 1 John 3, 16, laying our lives down for our king. We fight it. It's not in our nature. Because our nature is of the world and we have bad hearts. Number five, God is all-knowing. He's not only all-powerful, He's all-knowing. I have pastored now for 16 years and I've had people fool me that I just knew were going to be the next great leader in the church I was pastoring. I just saw them coming. I've had people fool me in 16 years in the ministry. Fool me big time. And you can fool me. You can fool your church. You can fool your neighbor. But you can't fool God because He's all-knowing and He's all-powerful. That's who you're dealing with here. Okay? That's number five. Number six, self will keep trying to be on the throne in our lives. We often hear, well, we're in a battle, and our first thought is it's us against the world, right? No, I said be different from the world. The battle's within. The battle is within. Yeah, we live in a 
self-centered world, but your inner self from your heart keeps trying to be on the throne in our lives instead of Jesus. Today is a self-centered world. I'll give you that. The world's always been self-centered. I'll tell you that too. So I want you to take out your cell phones. Because what do we do with our cell phones? We take a... Oh, wait a minute. A selfie. What's the first word in selfie? Self. What's the symbol of Apple? It's an apple on the back of every smartphone in this house tonight. It's an apple with a bite out of it. Well, how about that? Okay, so is it possible for this thing to distract us? Absolutely. Okay, so now it looks like, looks like Luke, my text didn't go through. I don't think it went through, so I don't think you got it. But, but, but let me blow it up here so y'all can see it. So I come to y'all's firework deal, and I'm out there very impressed by your love, by the way. Very impressed. If you attend this church, I'm very impressed by your love, your community view here. It's not just the pastor and his wife. It's the whole church, and I love that. Okay? So what's the first thing I want to do? They're popping in the background. Can you all see that? That's, that's me and my wife. You know what I'm taking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm right out there. So then I'm like, oh, i got to show them this, Ashley. And I tried to text it, text it to your tech team. But you see, I'm like, wait a minute, stop the world, this is awesome. I've never been this close to fireworks before. I felt like some of them were going to hit me. But, but anyway, and that's awesome about what y'all do. So I'm sitting there, and, and I'm taking selfies with my bride, okay? And I'm going, this is so cool. They're popping right behind me in the pictures. Look at this, Ash. And I'm so focused on a selfie. selfie. Now watch this. Today, Dana says, I got a picture I got to show you. I promise you, she didn't know what I was going to talk about tonight. Here's what was said. She said, you were so busy getting a selfie that you ignored the little kid in front of you whose mama was just trying to get a picture because you were so concerned. This is, this, this is what was said. She said it in love. And she didn't say it quite that harsh. She did say it in love. She said, but look, Chris, you were so focused on your selfie that here this family's trying to get a picture and the little boy's standing there in the light and there's some preacher in the background with his arms who aren't long enough. Your arms are never long enough, by the way. That's why they call it a selfie. And so instead of coming up to that little boy, loving on him, telling him the meaning of this night, I'm worried about a selfie. Using a phone that has an apple with a bite taken out of it. What was the first sin? Goodness gracious. When that spirit jumps on me, boy, he just jumps. And I know he does to y'all. So here's what I want to do. Let's have some fun. Take out your cell phones. And to the person sitting next to you, I want you to take a selfie with whoever's sitting next to you. Right now. That's what I want to do. I'm coming over here. We're going to send one to Jordan. All right. Okay. Now your assignment 
is to send that picture to somebody. Now watch this. Send that picture. Look at y'all back there. You're smiling. I love it. You're taking selfies. You send that. Look at y'all. Y'all might not even get along, but y'all are taking a selfie. All right. Look at this bunch. There's four in the selfie. That's called a quadri, right? Or a quandary. Okay, so what I want you to do, there's still pictures popping. Y'all are so into selfies. Am I on to something or what? Okay. Yeah. So you are in there. Well, I know this. My arms weren't long enough. Okay, so what you need to do is this. You need to send that picture to somebody in your friend group or your family group or in your church. And you need to say, from now on in me, there will be less self. Just less self. That's all the Spirit's telling you tonight. Just less self. And now let's ask a cool question. You ready? What did we do before cell phones? I'm going to tell you what we did. I would have been standing there with my wife. And I'd have been oohing and aahing at the fireworks and appreciating what God has given me. A community that loves one another. And churches that get it. But I'm too caught up in a... Ashley, look at the fireworks. Grab your phone. <laughs> Little did I know God was going to use that tonight. You used to just enjoy the moments in your life. If you see a beautiful waterfall or you go on a trip or you see a wonderful sunset. I did ministry in Gunnersville. Sunsets on that lake are gorgeous. And I used to appreciate the sunset and everything that God's given me. And now I miss it because I got the perfect selfie. Now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at 1 through 5. This is the strongest reference of what we have to be careful not to become that I can find in the scriptures. Here we go. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Here goes. I hear pages turning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let us bring our Bibles to church more and more. Here we go. But mark this. I think God's trying to get our attention with what I'm about to read because it says mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of what's the first one? Now we'll read on down. We'll read the, the list there. Because I don't want to give you partial word. I want to give you full word. Here, here's what it says. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient with their parents. They'll be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and, having, and have nothing to do with such people. 
Brothers and sisters, I've made the case tonight that we have in some small way become the kind of people that the scriptures tell us not to become. And I'm including myself. It's very possible that we bought into the world too much and we've become in small ways and in big ways the people that the scriptures say that true believers shouldn't have anything to do with. That's a hard teaching. That doesn't fit teddy bear Jesus. But it's truth. We are in danger in these churches of becoming Cain. Giving God our leftovers after we seek self. We want to elevate the self. If sin crouches at your door, and it is every day, we need more God. And I want to finish with, we need less self. Well, Chris... Our pastors, our church has been looking for a pastor. What kind of person do you think we ought to get? I wanted to call you. Got that phone call. Find somebody that's not self-centered. Y'all have it here. You have it. I pray that my church has it. You can't fix something that's not on your radar. Now it's on your radar. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this night. There'll never be another night like it. Help us to understand in our hearts that this life that you have died for us and given us, Lord, through the power of your Spirit, Lord, help us to be such thankful people. Help us to not elevate self. Put on our hearts when we should bring an olive branch. Put on our hearts when we should speak truth to people. with no agenda. May we operate in agape love, the love that's totally unconditional, that wants the best for everyone around us, Lord. So everyone at the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, they go out of the doors of this church tonight, understanding that they're in the world, not of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you again for joining us this week at Central, and may the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified in your life today. Thank you.